Welcome folks to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is your host Ashwin Krishnan. In this episode, the Black Report, the human behind the hack. We speak to David Smith, CISO of Nuix. Prior to Nuix, David served in federal law enforcement for 27 years, including 24 years as a special agent for the United States Secret Service. He has been closely involved in the creation of this fascinating report which looks at the who, why and how of the hacker, and we explore the implication of this report to both the security practitioners and vendors. So welcome folks to another edition of uh, Cybersecurity Dispatch. So my guest today is a very interesting CISO from a company called Nuix and uh, I will have David Smith introduce himself but the focus of today's podcast is really on a on a groundbreaking report called the Black Report that David and his team have assembled together. So without further ado I'll have it handed over to David to introduce himself and we can then dig deep. Thank you, Ashwin. My name is David Smith. I am the Chief Information Security Officer for Nuix, N-U-I-X. We are an Australian software cyber security software company. I've been the Chief Information Security Officer with Nuix for about one year. Prior to that, I spent over 24 years do, as a Secret Service agent, supervising information security program management, cybersecurity training and as well as heading up many uh, forensic and cyber investigations. So thank you for having me. Great. So David, let, let's get started over here. Just before we started the podcast, we were discussing about the uh, fair amount of reports that are out there in the market today. And you mentioned Verizon and a few others, which are really good at analyzing uh, post-breach incident response times, uh, detection, etc., what makes this report, the Black Report, different, and why is this uh, a huge complement to what already exists in the market today? Uh, very good question. So, yeah, as you mentioned, there are there are many excellent annual or semi-annual data reports out there. Uh, you mentioned Verizon, which I, I think is a, is a very good one. They collaborate with Secret Service and other law enforcement and gather very good statistics on different types of attacks that have been reported, either to law enforcement or to regulatory agencies like HIPAA, et cetera. And so it does provide a very good statistical sort of analysis review of what's going on out there. But what makes the Nuix Black Report unique is that we concentrate on information that happens before the breach. So rather than trying to analyze different numbers and what was the most, most common type of attack last year, what we want to do instead is do more of a psychological or sociological study of what makes people hack, what things do they find successful? What are the barriers in terms of what, you know, what kinds of defensive mechanisms do hackers have difficulty with? What kinds of industries do they typically have more success with than others, et cetera? So it's really a, an analysis of what's going on uh, before the breach even takes place. So that, that's great to hear. So uh, maybe uh, for the edification of the, of the audience over here, what were some of the aha moments for you and your team that you found surprising even with all of the wealth of knowledge you've gathered over the years, is something that jumped out at you saying, okay, either this busts an existing myth or it shines a light on something that has been ignored for too long? Any, any aha moments for you? I think that probably the biggest uh, take, takeaway is just that how much things stay the same. There's always a lot of interest in the, the new things. You know, so for the last year or two, it's been ransomware and uh, Internet of Things you know, and certainly those things are, are worth worth paying attention to, but sometimes what gets lost in all of the, the focus on the, the, the next big thing in terms of security or attacks is how much things just stay the same. 
So if you, if you download the, the Black Report, which by the way is free to download at newix.com, you'll see the, the different statistics in there and you'll see that st- still social engineering and phishing are still probably the most common attack vector, even though those things are not new. They've been around for quite some time, uh, but they're still uh, very powerful and very effective. Now, that, that's interesting because I was on the vendor side uh, selling security and, and cloud and virtualization for over 20 years. So one of the challenges I faced as head of products and strategy for a long time is it's very difficult to go back to a customer or a venture capitalist looking for funding and talk about, hey, things are the same, please fund me, right? Or rise above the noise when I want to talk to a customer, but I'm not using words like AI and ML and deep learning, et cetera. I mean, would, would you find the vendor community somewhat challenged in acknowledging the fact that, hey, things are broken or, or things, are not, things that we already deliver to the customer are not being used effectively? Let's spend some time talking about that versus having to sell something new. So, I mean, do you see that tension kind of playing into this? And how does somebody look at this report and kind of hit the reset switch and saying, okay, maybe we need to start slowing things down in terms of the newness that comes out over here and really look at the long tail of, of exposure that, that has not really been addressed? Well, as you know, there's the, the, the security software and hardware world is very, very large. And it seems like every day there's another vendor uh, getting involved with some kind of security, security product. And many of them are very good. But I think what ends up getting lost in all the discussions is how much of all of this, both the offense and the defense, is still human-driven. And that, that human factor is something that technology is not always going to be able to solve. It may be a help a little bit, but, you know, if you, again, what the, what, the, what the Nukes Black Report says is that the most common attack vector still, or at least the most successful, consistently successful one, is social engineering slash phishing. And there have been some technologies that have come out over the years that have tried to help with that. I mean, there's, you know, different filters for email systems and things like that. Uh, but it hasn't solved the problem. Things are still things are still getting through. People are still falling for things. If you do read up on some of the more significant successful attacks over the past year, you'll see that a large number of them are still social engineering engineered in terms of what the attacker was able to place. So I think when, as a security community, when we lose sight of how important the human factor is, that's when things start to get uh, out of control. It's very relevant the social engineering aspect because uh, the one of the most publicized attacks uh, is the is the one at at the Black Hat conference where this uh, uh, lady goes into a phone booth and starts calling people up, and uh, how easily she's able to kind of break down the defenses purely through a phone call. And so it's it's scary at the same time it's very revealing. So switching gears a little bit, and uh, I've, I had a chance of kind of going through some of the report this morning, and one of the things that was mentioned in the report is most organizations. Uh, define their security posture or vendors define their security strategy by taking available knowledge, right? Through conversations with with other CISOs, through conversations with with customers, analyst reports, et cetera. But the big missing factor is the actual attacker. So I think this report seems to have gone to that extra length of actually interviewing, talking to the hacker community and learning a little bit about how they think and operate. So can you shed a little bit of light on who are these people? I mean, clearly you have debunked a myth which says, hey, this is a uh, disgruntled uh, teen uh, in the basement of his uh, his parents' home trying to hack something. That's not really the profile of the attacker. So can you talk a little bit about 
what you learned in these conversations with the actual attackers and and what uh, both vendors and practitioners can do about this? Yeah, absolutely. So many people in the security community probably know a gentleman by the name of Lance Spitzner, who is an instructor at SANS. And for years and years, Lance has always uh, urged us to, to paraphrase, know your enemy. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, you know, you can't just look at threats and risks as just being this sort of faceless, you know, something that's out there to get us. You, you know, the more you understand about the type of people that want to do you harm, the more you can try to tailor your defenses or or improve your defenses. And so I think to leverage what Mr. Spitzner has talked about over the years, I think the Black Report is a good byproduct of that. So as you mentioned, yeah, a lot of people, when they think of hackers, they think of this teenage person in a basement with a hoodie and the you know cans of Red Bull or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case. If you read the, the statistics where people provided a lot of information about their themselves and their backgrounds, you'll see that the attackers are uh, probably better educated than what people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, 75% of the respondents have either a uh, bachelor's degree or, or a graduate degree. So they're, they're very well educated. Many of them work for companies during the day. So uh, large companies that are maybe in the security industry or maybe they're a, in a programmer and they do, they do different things you know, for fun or for just for learning or whatever. Speaking of learning, that was the, one of the biggest motivations. So if you read the Black Report and you get to the, pa- the pages that talk about why do you hack, why do you attack systems, you'll see that things like financial gain are actually pretty low on the spectrum as far as the motivation. The biggest motivation is to learn people or, or, or curiosity. So a lot of things that happen out there are people just trying to figure out how does this system work? How can I get around this software? Is there some way I can overcome this security feature in this particular piece of hardware or something like that. And you'll see this quite a bit in some of the news articles that come out about different security weaknesses with different companies. One of the things I've noticed a lot in the last year is the number of companies that have had their data exposed on cloud systems, particularly S3 buckets. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these exposures come from research, research companies that go out and basically scan cloud environments looking for poorly secured data. So I think that just that just confirms what the Black Report says, is that there's a lot of people that are out there just either for, uh, for knowledge or curiosity, looking to see if they can get around different security defenses. So David, you bring up a uh, very relevant point, which is uh, the S3 bucket exposure has obviously been quite embarrassing to companies over there. But, but also, it also highlights a fact that you mentioned, which is are, are we leaving porous defenses at the lowest level while trying to secure, like you mentioned, ransomware and other kinds of uh, cryptojacking attacks right at the top, which, which, which are the ones that get maybe the board's attention and budget as well. So are we fighting two different battles? Are the, are the defenders focused on the, on the next uh, cool and sexy attack while the actual attackers are going about their business in a relatively low-key fashion looking for existing holes that are relatively easier to attack. And do you see a, a mind shift that needs to occur where there's more focus and attention focused on Windows 2000 servers and unpatched Apache servers and stuff like that? And if so, is that going to be led by the security practitioners? Is it going to be led by regulate, regulations? going to be led by vendors? Where do you think this, this uh, focus shift is going to come from? Looking at things from the, the, the offensive side, I see it sort of a, a, two, a two-pronged uh, viewpoint. So on, on the one hand, we do have some of the, the more 
famous or more infamous recent things like the S3 scans and ransomware and things like that. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a problem. Otherwise it wouldn't be making the headlines Mm -hmm. that it is. But again, as the Black Report has also shown, there's still plenty of traditional sort of old fashioned things. I mean, phishing is still very much alive and well. Uh, Scanning networks for poorly secured remote uh, remote access or, or, or or VPN openings is also uh, it's been around for years and years, still alive and well. Um, even just more traditional malware is still still very common. So we do sort of have this uh, one-two punch of some new things as well as some old things. I think from a security perspective, what that tells us is what works best is still the that defense in depth um, uh, approach. So rather than chasing the latest threat uh, and with the latest tool or latest you know security uh, vendor product, I think what works best is to stick with what's tried and true, which is applying security in different directions. So there's different defense in depth models mm-hmm. that are out there, but they all come you know uh, the stands top twenty and uh, different models from the U.S. government, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at these different defense and depth models, they typically have the same kind of, a lot of the same elements, you know, user education and awareness, backups, contingency plans, things like that. And that's one of the things that, that really came up, I think, in the last year that we haven't heard of so much prior to, to all the ransomware attacks is the importance of having data recovery and data backups. You know, we used to hear a lot of that back in Y2K and yep. then it kind of went away for a while. People were more worried about other things and, you know, whether it's two-factor authentication or whatever, you know, the security community tends to get kind, of, kind of get led in different different directions by what's the hot topic. And sometimes the old topics that are kind of, I don't know, kind of boring a little bit, like backup plans and contingency planning, yeah. kind of start to fall away for a little while. And then guess what? What, we, what did we learn last year? The people that did not, the companies that did not have good backups, that did not have a good contingency plans, were the ones that were suffering the most with ransomware. For those that had good backups, then, you know, the ransomware... May, may not have been as a bigger threat to them. I think having having that holistic, three hundred and sixty degree attitude towards security has been, and always, I think, always will be the best way to approach uh, things. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry so much about the latest shiny object or the latest latest storm clouds that are you know threatening your organization. If you have a solid security plan that reaches out in all the different directions, I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, and again, you you mentioned data backup and recovery. So the so the question is, do organizations have to stage mock attacks where they actually have files, critical files encrypted, so they actually go back and see whether they can recover from backup, or is it, is it still a hope and pray that you're snapshotting, I know, once a day or once a week or something, and hopefully nothing bad happens? So uh, is that is that also a sense of urgency of saying, okay, let let's pretend we're under attack and see how we how we recover from that? Well, I think if an organization can do that, that's that's extremely useful. So I think, you know, to use the NIST phrase, uh, the testing of your security controls. Yeah, I think there's extreme value in that because how do you know that they're that they're going to work until you try them out? I mean, the, you know, the first step, of course, is to is to put the controls in place. Um, but you know, I mean, that's better than nothing. But but if you don't try them out, especially for something as critical as backups and recovery. That's the kind of security control that you really won't know if it works until you try it out. And so that should be part of a larger incident response plan for the organization that goes through what's going to happen. And whether you do it through a you know, tabletop or whether you do it through actual, almost like an employee recall plan kind of yeah. thing where you actually unplug things and see how people respond. I mean, there's different ways you can go about the testing. Right. But, but yeah, obviously, you don't know for sure if your plan is going to work until you give it a shot. 
So one uh, psychology, and you mentioned the uh, sociology and psychological angle of the attackers, is the is the prevailing myth of the hacking community being a very tight knit community and having they exchange information, they help each other out. Is that is that a myth or is that true based on your findings of the that the doc report? Well, I mean, I, I don't think that there's some monolithic community out there. I mean, there's not some evil empire of hackers where they're all talking and things like that. Certainly, there are different forums and, you know, different communities of people that, that uh, you know, blogs and, and things like that, where, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Twitter feeds and things like that, where people do share information with one another. But in my personal experience, and also, I think, from what we learned at the Black Report, it tends to be smallish groups, you know, maybe group a group of half a dozen or a dozen share information. And for the, for the non-criminals, I should emphasize, the non-criminal ones, it tends to often to be focused around a certain category of exploit. So you might get a community, for example, that are, are very, uh, of, of a ta- uh, pen testers, uh, red teamers, that are really, really interested in PowerShell scripts. Mm-hmm. And so they'll kind of they'll get together on websites and, and blogs and so on and share information with each other about something that they, they learned, some new vulnerability or, or attack vector or things like that. And on the criminal side, you get a little bit of a mixture. You get everything from just individual people just doing their own thing through fairly well-organized crime groups that will, uh, you know, basically, uh, just like, like, like with the, uh, you know, traditional organized crime, the, you know, the mafia type stuff mm-hmm. where people will organize themselves and there'll be leaders and there'll be, you know, middle people and there'll be the, the, the street runners and things like that. So it's kind of all, all over the place as far as the size of different groups. So, so uh, uh, I think we are kind of reaching the uh, end of our podcast, but I wanted to kind of uh, talk a little bit about, you mentioned something about the community itself uh, wanting to learn and therefore they have a day job, they go home and they, they try to figure out vulnerabilities and exploits and so forth for their own learning. And, and, let's, and we've seen this enough and I've been on the vendor side, so I know this personally is, let's say a, a, an ethical actor reaches out and says, you know, I discovered this vulnerability and I'm going to post this online in the next three or four weeks. Number one is uh, vendors need to respond to that, right? But then the second step is, let's say the vendor actually issues a patch. Now it's, it's contingent upon the actual uh, security user to deploy that patch. And sometimes that requires approvals of lines of businesses. So every step of the way, there seems to be more challenges for the defenders. So is there any, any streamlining? Uh, do you see that helping out as, uh, that, that would actually make this ethical hack detection to the vendor community actually issuing a patch, to the uh, security practitioner actually being able to install the patch? Is that going to get time compressed anytime soon? Or, or is this just the nature of the business? Are we going to have this exposure which the uh, hackers can exploit? I don't think anything's going to change anytime soon. So mm-hmm. I think the only thing that's changing a little bit maybe is I've, I've, I've seen a slight increase in the so-called bug bounty programs mm-hmm. where companies are starting to be a little bit more open, even aggressive in paying people to uncover vulnerabilities and then notify them. And, you know, it's always been a little bit of a, con- a controversy within the security community about, you know, when, if, you know, if you're a ethical hacker and you happen to find an exploit through whatever means, through just experimenting, fuzzing, whatever, you know, what are your moral obligations as far as notifying the company? You know, because people always want to rush to get credit too. They, you know, there's right. that academic like, or that academic slant where you know, <laughs> I want to be known as the person that found this, you know, gigantic gaping hole in your product. But at the same time, if you announce it before you give the vendor 
a chance to fix their product. Well, then, you know, bad guys can take that, that vulnerability and weaponize it and do harm to innocent people. So, you know, there's always been a little bit of a, a debate about, you know, what's the best way to approach these kinds of things and, and uh, when to do it and how much time to give and things like that. You know, until the supply chain and the software development cycle somehow gets tighter in terms of not having as many vulnerabilities, I think we're, we're going to still see, continue to see the same kind of cycle, which means that from a defender's perspective, from a security perspective, that the whole configuration management life cycle is still very, very important, which means paying attention to patches and staying on top of them and then getting them and then testing them and then deploying them, which, you know, any, any CISO knows is, is not fun. It's a big chore. It can be yep. a challenge, especially some, sometimes when you have a patch that actually breaks something that's legitimate. <laughs> yep. now, now what do you do, right? I wish that that whole cycle would somehow uh, shrivel up and go away, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah. And again, to your earlier point, each of these actually involves a human, right? All the way from the ethical hacker and their moral obligations to what does a vendor do to what does a... So I think the human element continues to quote unquote plague us as we want to get better and more efficient at at, uh, defenses. Yeah, I agree. And I think if there's one, I mean, if if there's, if I could just have one one final word about the black report, and and that is that it sheds a light on the human side. And I think as you know, you and I are both are both in the CISO world. And I think when CISOs lose sight of the human factor, whether it's training and awareness, or just understanding that there's a real body, whether they have a hoodie or not behind the keyboard on the attacker side, once you lose sight of that, and get too too wrapped up in the technologies, then I think that's when you start to you know, lose your power as a, as a defender and as a security person. No, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great takeaway for, for all the listeners out there in terms of, hey, never forget the human at the end of the cycle, both from a, whether it's an attacker or it's a people in your own organization in terms of how they need to react to change as well as uh, vulnerabilities and how they can do stuff more efficiently. So, David, it's been a really fascinating conversation with you. Again, appreciate your time. I, I'm sure the listeners are going to come away a wee bit more educated than they were going in, but highly encourage everybody to download the Black Report. I think it's a, it's a really fascinating piece of intel in a community that has gone, and we, we've either straightjacketed them into thinking of, of hackers in a certain fashion. I think all, all those myths are busted over here. So again, it's a, it's a really good piece of reporting. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time, David. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.